out of his love, he paid that enormous price for you and for me. And when we get it, all we can do is save our Redeemer. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. You know, when we come to our study of the book of Ruth, it's really a story of redemption. We've been singing about a redemption and our Redeemer this morning. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're in, in uh, the second chapter of Ruth this morning. If you'd open your Bibles there. If you've been coming the last couple of weeks, you realize there's some sort of key characters here, uh, two that we've already been introduced to. One of them is a mother-in-law whose name is Naomi. And then there is her daughter-in-law who's more like a daughter to her than a daughter-in-law, <clears throat> and her name is Ruth. So there's Naomi, the mother-in-law. There's Ruth, who's the daughter-in-law, but who's really like a daughter to her. And then today, we're going to get introduced to the third of the characters in the story, and it's a kinsman, a kinsman who provides, a kinsman who takes care and graciously provides for his relatives, and his name is Boaz. So those are the three primary uh, characters in the story. So we're going to pick up at chapter 2 now this morning, and I'm going to be reading down through verse 12. This is God's Word. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. And Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along with the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you go, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And then Boaz replies, I've been told about all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. 
May the Lord repay you for what you've done. Then listen to this wonderful verse. And may you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we open this scripture, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And let us see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his beauty. He who humbled himself and yet who has the name that at his name every knee will bow. Let us see him, we pray this morning. For we pray it in his name. Amen. So I want to take this in three parts this morning. And I want to talk, first of all, about the desperate state that Naomi and Ruth found themselves in. And then secondly, I want to talk about their only hope. I'm going to say, you know, they were hopeless, but there is hope. And the hope was in the providential care of God. And then third thing I want to do is take this story and put it in light of the bigger story, God's greater story. So that's where we're going to go briefly this morning. So first of all, let me start with their desperate state. Now, if you were here the last two weeks, you realize what's happened in chapter one. There was a famine in the land. And Naomi's husband, whose name was Elimelech, evidently lost everything he had. He lost his land. The famine came. And there's a lot of evidence that it was probably, he probably turned away from the Lord. And he decided that he was going to take his family, lead them out of, out of Israel, and take them into the land of Moab. Uh, more than likely, out of bitterness, uh, I don't know for sure, but it's interesting. A couple of little hints in there. The names of the two sons, Machlon and Kilion, are actually Canaanite names. And these boys married pagan girls. Sort of interesting, all that. So very well that Elimelech had sort of run away from the faith. So here she is now in this land of Moab. She's left her family. She's left everything she's familiar with. And there she is in this land. And she has a husband who pretty much has walked away from the Lord. But then things get worse. Her husband dies. Now, some of us have lost spouses, and you know how hard that is. She lost her spouse. She lost her husband. And remember, he was the breadwinner. I mean, everything depended on him, and now he's gone. Well, she has two sons. But it gets worse. The tragedy increases. She loses her two sons. Both of the sons die. In 40-something years of ministry, I think, Probably the most difficult things I've ever had to deal with were people who lost children. You know, we expect to lose mom and dad. We even, we have some knowledge anyway that we could lose a spouse. But to lose your children. She lost her sons. And there she is now, completely destitute. Living in this land, poor without anything, her husband is gone. Her sons are gone. And so she hears that the Lord is giving aid to his people back in Bethlehem. And so she makes up her mind that it's best for her now to go back to Bethlehem. And so she bids her daughters-in-law farewell. And you remember the story from last week. Ruth would not, Ruth would not let her go without him. It says Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, listen... Where you go, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi's life had had such a powerful impact on this young Moabite woman that she had embraced Naomi's God. 
And she was committed to Naomi, the power of that relationship that Naomi had on her life. And so they go back, and when they get back, they're in this very difficult situation. Look, they go back. They have no land. They have no money. Naomi is old. She, she can't possibly work. She can't marry. She can't have children anymore. And they go back, and they're totally destitute. They're in a desperate state, hopeless, marginalized, and insignificant. That's where they are. So what is their only hope? Now, this is where you begin to see the providential hand of God at work. Because there are people who get in desperate state like this, and you know what? It's easy to want to give up hope. But let me tell you, there are two, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, there are these wonderful little words that says, but God, but God. And so here she was in this desperate state, but God. Last week, Richard made a very, very, it stuck with me all week, this point that he made last week. He said, um, he said, you know, that it could be argued that Elimelech's decision to take his family to Moab was a bad one. Even if it was, the providential care of God is not hindered by our poor choices. God's grace is sufficient for every challenge and every situation. When he said that last week, it just hit me because I looked at my poor choices and I've made them. And you've made them, right? We've all made poor choices. But sometimes when you look at those and you made poor choices, it's not hopeless. Because, but God. See, there's a God who's in control of things. There's, and, and our poor choices don't hinder God's providence. And that's what you're going to see worked out here. So I'm going to sort of say this tongue-in-cheek, but I think you'll get the idea here. So here's the providential hand of God. So they go back. They're in this desperate state. And so Ruth then, Ruth then makes a decision that she needs to go and glean in the fields. So she said to Naomi, Naomi's too old to do this. So she said to Naomi, let me go in the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Okay, so here was the practice back then. The law, the law said that people who owned fields couldn't harvest all the way to the edges. They had to leave the edges for the poor, and the poor would come and glean the wheat off of it. And so Ruth knows that this is our hope. Our only hope is for me to go with the rest of the poor people and go out there and basically glean whatever's left that the harvesters don't get and to bring it home. So it just happened that as she goes, she goes to a particular field. And it just happened that that particular field belonged to a man named Boaz. I'll show you the significance of that in a minute. Okay, that's the first just happened. Now, let me tell you the second just happened. It just happened that Boaz, who owned the field, had just come from Bethlehem to that particular field. Just happened. And it just happened that of all the people who were out there gleaning in the fields, all these poor, it just happened, he noticed one, Ruth. And so he inquired of his foreman, he said, tell me who that young woman is. And then he goes on, the, the foreman says, well, this is, uh, this is a, a Moabitess who came back with Naomi. And uh, she left her, her parents and came back and she's been taking care of Naomi. So he tells us that. And then Boaz intervenes and he comes to, to Ruth. Now, let me, let me real quick sideline here. Ruth, do you remember the country I told you she's from? Moab. 
a Moabitess. The Moabites were descendants of Sodom. They were not a well-thought-of people, and they were enemies. When Ruth made this decision to go out into these fields, among these workers, she is a young Moabitess, marginalized in every way possible, vulnerable, easily could be killed. And, I mean, you can think of all that could happen to her there. But she goes. Providential hand of God into the field of Boaz. And Boaz comes back and says, now listen, my daughter, don't go to any other field. Why was he doing this? To protect her. He knew she was vulnerable. Don't go to any other field. You go right here to this field. And by the way, I've told my men not to touch you. Remember when I read that? I've told my men not to touch you. He was given that protection of her. She is so astounded by him. She turns back to him and she says, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And then Boaz responded, Well, I've been told what you've done. For your mother-in-law, after your husband died, you left and you came and you've taken care of her and how you've chosen to live with a people that you didn't know before. And then he says this wonderful line, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And then, by the way, listen to that. Under whose wings... You've come to take refuge. You know, there's, a, there's another sermon here. And the sermon is you could go to Elimelech who ran from the Lord in crisis. And you see Ruth who runs under his wings for refuge. See it? And at that point on, Boaz allows Ruth not only to glean, but actually to become a harvester. And really the rest of the story is about what Boaz does for Ruth and Naomi. And I'll tell you this, he made an enormous sacrifice. It was interesting that when Ruth comes home and she has all of these things, she tells, uh, and Ruth says, I'm sorry, Naomi says, Ruth, where in the world did you get all of this grain? And she said, well, I went to this field. I went to the field of a man named Boaz. I was in Colorado uh, last week, and there's a, a fellow in Dallas who built a Christian camp out there, and he built a chapel there, and in the chapel it's named the Redeemer Chapel, and he's been so touched by the gospel in his life and redemption in his life, he, um, he ordered he commissioned an artist to do all the stained glass windows in this chapel around the theme of redemption. And I'm looking around the room, and lo and behold, there's Ruth and Boaz. See, it's a story about redemption. And so what does he do? When, when all of a sudden Naomi finds out who it is, you know what she says? The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. All right, stop right here. Now, that's a great story, right? I mean, God's providence, he takes care of it. Kinsman redeemer. Now, let me pause on that kinsman redeemer. That's a very interesting concept. And in order to get it, let me explain a couple of things about sort of Old Testament law. If you remember when the people of Israel conquered the land that God allocated the land among the different tribes. 
And so the families in each tribe got a portion of the land. And God made two provisions back in the Old Testament where people could keep their land. The first one was the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, you've probably read this. This is back in Leviticus. There, I think it's chapter 25, there these laws. And there was the year of Jubilee. So on the year of Jubilee, every 50th year, the land went back. 50 years is a long time. So God made another provision. He made a provision of a kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word is the word goel, G-O-E-L, goel. The goel was the kinsman redeemer. And the way it worked was this. Somebody who was a, a relative could actually purchase the land back so that they could give it to the heirs. All right? Boaz was one of these kinsmen redeemers. He was a goel. So he could purchase the land back and give it to the heirs. What's the problem with that? There were no heirs. She had lost her two sons. And so what did this mean to Boaz? It means that he had to marry the nearest relative because there was another Old Testament law called a deliberate marriage in which a relative took the widow and he married the widow so that she was taken care of. This meant he would have to marry Naomi. But she's too old. Right? She's too old. She, she, she can't bear children. And so what is he left with? Ruth. Right? Problem solved. Whoa. Nope. Problem not solved. Because you see, you remember where she's from? She's from Moab. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the 10th generation. Do you understand what it would mean for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer? He would have to purchase the land back. He would have to take on an enormous debt. He would have to break the social customs of his day put his reputation on the line to marry a Moabitess. But you know what? He chose to do it. He chose to do it. Not many people would have done it, but he did it. He redeemed the land, he married Ruth, and he became the kinsman redeemer. Great story, right? But now, let's look at it in light of a greater story. You know, when you're studying passages like this, it's always important to say, okay, let's get this one down, but how does it fit in God's big picture? And so let's move ahead. Ruth and Boaz marry, and they end up having a son born to them. And that son's name was Obed. And after Obed is born, Obed is born, The women said to Naomi, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a goel. May he become famous throughout Israel. Well, now wait a minute. Boaz, I read it to you. Boaz was already famous. So who is, who are the women talking about here? May he become famous throughout Israel. You know who they're talking about? The child. Here's the twist. See, there's a twist to the story. It's really not Boaz. It's about the child. And in fact, the verse goes on to say, 
He, the child, will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law is better to you than seven sons. For she, you, she has given birth. Look, the real key to this is seeing that through the birth of this child, this child is going to occupy a very special place in Naomi's life. And in fact, if you read it, I'm going to jump ahead. Richard's going to cover this. In chapter 4, verse 16, at the end of the story, it said, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Do you see this? He is the father, Obed is the father of Jesse, who became the father of none other than King David. And the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy that takes you all the way down to the birth of David. Great story, right? Nope, but there's more, all right? We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Generations later, generations later, there is another child who is born in Bethlehem from the line of David. His name is Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate, the one true kinsman redeemer, the Goel, who came and took on an enormous debt. He took all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our poor choices, all of our regrets, all of those things in our lives that bring us down, that render us with shame and guilt. He took all of that upon himself. He bore the debt. He took on the debt. And he paid an enormous price. You see, he redeemed us not with, imp- with perishable things like silver and gold. But he redeemed us with his precious blood. The blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now let me close with this. Can you fathom for a moment his love for you? Do you realize how Boaz was so driven by his love for Ruth that he would be willing to take on that debt? There's a whole lot more to this story, too, that's yet to come. He was willing to take on that debt. He was willing to to marry a Moabitess because he loved her. A little earlier, you heard the choir sing from Philippians 2 how he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death on a cross Our kinsman redeemer Jesus 
paid an enormous, enormous price for us because he loves us. He loves us. Can you grasp how he suffered on the cruel cross for you and me? Can you see how he gave up everything for us? When we begin to understand his wondrous love and the beauty of his grace and mercy, I'm going to tell you something. Our hearts will sing of our Redeemer. We will. When we begin to see him and see what he's done for us and see his love for us, we cannot contain it ourselves. We sing of him. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love for me. He from death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, O oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Jesus is the goel. Out of his love, he paid that enormous price for you and for me. And when we get it, all we can do is sing of our Redeemer. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, let us see you. Let us see you today as you suffered on the cruel cross for us. Let us see you who gave up everything for us. Let us see, let us experience your love for us that goes beyond all measure. And when we see you, we will delight in you. We will praise you. We will rejoice in you. And as we close this, this, this service this morning, we're going to sing of you. We sing of you because of what you have done for us. Oh, how we love you because you first loved us. We make this prayer in your name. Amen. To every storm of life.